Hey family, welcome to the Kinship Collective Podcast. I'm Mark and we are ending otherness. We are sharing and lamenting and celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture in ways that build our empathy, grow solidarity, and ultimately realize that we are family. This week, we get to talk with David Hayward, better known by his social media moniker, Naked Pastor. He's an artist and former pastor who shares his journey from traditional church leadership and traditional theology toward a more spacious and liberated perspective of God and church and himself. Then we reimagined Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14 and talked about what does it mean to be free right where you are. (laughs) To be honest, this is the conversation I needed to hear this week. And I'm just so grateful we all get to be a part of it together. Without further ado, here's David. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest (laughs) from Canada, (laughs) pastor, artist, and ally, someone who I've experienced to be provoking liberation through question asking. He's using words and images to challenge the status quo, to deconstruct dogma, and to offer hope to those who suffer under dogma. Ladies and gentlemen, today, David (laughs) David, this this audience is... Just, they must know you already. What a crowd. Come on. <laughs> you, you might know David more under his social media moniker, The Naked Pastor, which I, I love that idea. And I feel like I'm already talking too much, but there's not few pastors. Well, there's not few. There are very few pastors, I think, willing to get naked and to be truly vulnerable. Lots of right. like hero stories and like I once was, but now I am. Yeah. But I love the idea of a of a truly vulnerable and naked pastor. So yeah. thanks for joining us, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And hello, everyone. Come on. David, you're putting art and questions into the world. And I, I, I see the reposts. I see your feed is in my stories, my Instagram stories and places because other people resonate so much with what you're saying and... and right. And the questions you're asking that they're saying, hey, look at this question. Look at this picture of love. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful that we get to have a conversation with you today cool. about yeah. that. David, cool. would you share a little bit about who you are and kind of where you are in the world and what you're up yeah. to? Yeah, um, I'm I'm in Canada and I'm on the eastern shore of Canada. So you and I are four hours apart. Okay. Um, and... Uh, I've been, you know, I was raised religious in a Christian home, essentially went to all kinds of churches. I went to Bible college, you know, um, I went to seminary. I went into the ministry. I got married. Um, I've got three kids. Uh, so I, I've, I've been in many different denominations, many different schools. I've read a lot and researched a lot. I, um, eventually ended up in, uh, being ordained Presbyterian. I ended up in the Vineyard Church. 
and mm. uh, served the church as a pastor basically for about 30 years. And then in 2010, I left the ministry. I'd already been blogging Naked Pastor for about five years. So mm -hmm. it was at that point I decided, well, maybe I'll see if I can make Naked Pastor a full-time gig. And uh, eventually it worked. So that's what I do full-time. I, I draw, I write, I paint, I, you know, create books and courses and all this kind of thing and interact with people online. So, um, you know, when in 2010, when I left the ministry, I, I had the moniker uh, Naked Pastor, and I really struggled with whether or not I should keep that name. But mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. were saying, I'll keep it. You're kind of like my pastor, but online kind of thing. So um, it's a stretch, but, uh, you know, I decided to keep keep the name. Mm -hmm. And it was already known around the world. So uh, that was to my advantage, I think, that I kept the name Naked Pastor. But your interpretation of the meaning of the word is perfect. It's just me being real. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And and I feel that authenticity in your post and authenticity in your story. Mm. I think what you shared, I think a lot of the folks who listen resonate with growing up in a faith tradition that shapes your entire view. And it's not mm -hmm. just that that faith tradition shapes your view. It's that that expression of your chase, that that very unique, distinct expression of your faith tradition with mm -hmm. your unique pastors and the leaders that you grew up around, mm -hmm. that shapes the questions we allow ourselves to ask. It shapes just the deepest parts of our identity, the ways that mm -hmm. we express our identity, the ways that we suppress our identity, trying to conform to that very distinct expression. Right. When you shared your story, it, you talked about going to Bible college. I think you went to Missouri and uh, mm -hmm. and you came here to the States and, and then you went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary mm -hmm. and you share this story that as you're growing theologically, your understanding of God is growing bigger, context, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're starting to lose a handle on some of the things that be that that have been a pillar specifically around the bible mm -hmm. would you share a little bit about that yeah so <clears throat> when i was a teenager um i, I got like really born again in a baptist church <laughs> and uh you know i became a real christian you know uh, i was like 15 or 16 years old <laughs> then my family switched to a pentecostal church but while I was at around that age, um, the youth leader took me under his wing and um, we would study the Bible together. Like he was mentoring me mm -hmm. and I had a, I still have it, an interlinear Bible and it's covered in colored pencil marks and writing in the margin and arrows. And like I, I became a real student of the Bible, um, both Jewish scriptures and Christian scriptures. And um, so when I went to Bible college, I, I took music at first, but I switched to Bible and theology and got my degree in Bible and theology. And then in, in my master's, I got a master of New Testament studies and, you know, studied Greek, the original Greek, New Testament Greek, mm -hmm. uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, theological French, theological German, you know, name. I was, I was totally wanted to be a Bible scholar. Mm -hmm. So. But on the day of my graduation, mm. um, I had just finished reading a book. Everybody asked me, what's the name of that book? 
Um, and the book was uh, called The Silence of Jesus by James Breach. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it did to me was it undermined my assumption that was a belief that the Bible was inspired and infallible and inerrant. And, um, you know, for me, that was like the cornerstone of all I believed. Everything I believed was balanced upon that one Jenga block, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it was being pulled and I could feel all of my beliefs starting to shake. Um, so, uh, that was happening on the day of my graduation. I was actually in my or, uh, or, uh, graduation robe mm-hmm. and I was freaking out. And Lisa, my wife, grabbed me by the shoulders and says, we've got to go to your graduation ceremony. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to actually calm myself down and go because I was literally, it was a, it was a crisis um, and cataclysmic moment where I, you know, if, if, the inerrancy infallibility of scripture was in question, then everything was in question. So that that's why mm-hmm. it was such a big deal for me. Yeah. I love the way you share that story. To me, it reminds me, like on my journey, I feel like I'm a little bit less sensitive to how mm-hmm. important certain beliefs can be to someone's like worldview like there's beliefs that underpin the way people believe that the world works right and as i have like deconstructed or as i'm gaining under new understandings trying to reconstructing the things i can hold to it's like the way that i talk about some of those really precious uh foundational pillars for people Mm -hmm. i realize i've been not as sensitive to that. So we had a conversation with Brandy Miller from reclaiming my theology and the way her posture of graciousness and just understanding how like what I'm saying feels really natural to me, but it could be like, it can be that, um, pulling mm-hmm. out the pin. It can be pulling out that jingle block for somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, that comes up for me when you're sharing, it's just that reminder of how to be gentle, the ways of being, thoughtful and sensitive to where people are. Yeah. And at the same time for people who are deconstructing, they need permission to articulate and really locate themselves, put their stake in the ground and say, no, this is what's true for me. This is what I've encountered to be true. And it's interesting to be in that space. And maybe there's a, there's a season to, or a time where you're, where you're like, nah, this is it for me. And you get to stake that you can do it publicly. You can do it private, however you need to do it for you. Yeah. And then there becomes a space where you can maybe mature a bit in that, hold that same truth, but you know that, okay, now I'm being sensitive to others around me who may not feel the same way or this could feel threatening yeah. to them. Okay. So let me, let me clarify then what, when I, when I finished reading that book, the silence of Jesus, and then I was questioning the inspiration of scripture. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was heading to my graduation ceremony. I no longer believe the Bible is of God. Right. It right. wasn't that at all. Mm-hmm. It was, it was like a corrupt code was inserted in my computer brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just slowly, slowly corrupted <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. it would it it took a long, long, long years, decades, actually, yeah. for my deconstruction to manifest. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I wrestled with that 
all all the way through. And yeah, I totally agree. I completely understand when people embrace things I used to believe in no longer hold on to steadfastly or cling to. Um, but that's the way I view growth anyway. Uh, I view growth not as me. Um, I think the best and healthiest growth, actually, is not me moving from one paradigm to another or from one ideology to another ideology or one theology to another theology. When I, I, I picture growth more like what I call, instead of linear or stages, I see it more as spatial, mm-hmm. where I'm like start small and I mm. grow outward to mm-hmm. include everything that went before. So wow. I don't look back with embarrassment or shame or anything on those things I used to believe or, or used to do mm-hmm. or, or used to say or how I used to worship or how, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not embarrassed by that because that's a part of who I am. I mean, I wouldn't be who I am now unless I was who I was then. And, and so that's a very important part of my own uh, appreciating my own self, my whole story. Uh, I encourage other people to look at their own story the same way. If, if you ripped out the earlier chapters of your life, Mark, I wouldn't be able to make sense of you now. Mm. It's a part of your story. Yeah. And, and uh, so everybody out there who's listening right now, I just want to encourage you to, the, to look back on your story as um developmental it's uh, it all belongs reject nothing yes you know yeah yeah oh that feels so important and i think that idea of spatial growth is really important too yeah for me too i think and we we're it's almost like we're talking about growth and you say spatial and a lot of times i think we're trained or we're in spaces that make us feel like growth means up and to the right and yeah. it means like better, yeah. better, 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 better is yeah. best until my best <laughs> with some of those quotes. Yeah. But I think what's been helpful for me to think about growth too, almost like, and I don't, I have this picture of like a star chart where you grow and it's, it's up this way and there's an experience or encounter that pushes us this way. And it might touch on a wound that drives us back and it's not back, and that's why it's never back. Um, but right. it's not always up and to the right. But yeah. it's always forward. Um, yes. How do we embrace that? But sometimes we do need to look into our wounds or look into our past to hold those things or to properly process something that maybe we suppressed or we didn't fully work through mm-hmm. so that we can heal and and become. And that word, yeah. like, becoming to me, I think is is really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, we we learn to transcend somehow, mm. include and transcend mm-hmm. all that has come before, mm. and you know it, it it makes us I think better people even, uh, and I don't mean better, um, you know, in terms comparatively, of, comparatively. I just right. mean because if I have empathy for my younger zealous self, I'm going to have empathy for other zealots as well. Yes. And, and, um, and I, I totally get where they're coming from. I hear them. Uh, and I see it all apart as a part of their own growth process. Mm. Mm. When you, I'm thinking back to what you talk about this journey, you wake yep. up on graduation day. Yep. And it, you describe it as a corrupt code, 
but you awaken to a truth because somebody wrote this book, which I love. I haven't read that book, but I just love that. Somebody could write this book and you could literally just turn your life's access. Um, they write this book, you read it. You're like, I'm not, I just, what did I just do with all this money and time? And what, why am I here in Wenham, Massachusetts? And, and you're like, you're going through all this, but then you're like, but I have made this investment. How do I reconcile this? And then you keep down that path. You've spent all this time understanding this scripture, these languages, and you want to help people. And, And that's why you're still doing that now. But what was that journey like being a pastor in a more traditional sense yep. and wrestling with some of these ideas that maybe right. put some of what you had to practice in tension? Yeah. So, you know, it, uh, deconstruction or, you know, questioning your beliefs or developing in any theological way, spiritual way uh, for anybody is really, really traumatic. But I mm. think there's an extra component added to the situation and complicates it when you're actually a pastor because you kind of, you have to do it kind of out in the open um, or you have to hide it or, you know, conceal it or be discreet about it and figure out how to speak week to week in a way that is, has integrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what for me, I had already mentioned earlier when I was introducing myself, um, I, migrated to many different denominations. So I wasn't loyal to any one denomination. Mm. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I was baptized Anglican when I was a baby, but um, I I don't feel Anglican or I don't feel Baptist or Pentecostal or Mm -hmm. like, cause I, you know, I call myself my own ecumenical movement because I've been in so many places, but um, yeah, I was going to ask you not sorry to interrupt. Do you feel Christian? Well, yeah, I, I tell people uh, Christian uh, Christianity is my home, but I have cottages everywhere. That's what I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, and it's my family of origin, definitely. Right. And, um, you know, even though some people think I've left home or run away from home or have been kicked out of the home or whatever you want to call it, I still feel like I'm in the game. Hmm. David, you were sharing about how that journey of a pastor holding these questions you were, and not necessarily being allegiant, which I love pursuing truth and, but also this responsibility of providing hope, proclaiming the gospel week Mm -hmm. to week. Yeah. So um, when I graduated from seminary, I ended up um, going to uh, assist in a large Presbyterian church in Canada. And I love that. Um, I got into Reformed theology. You know, I came out of the Pentecostal church that sort of kind of frowned upon theology and biblical studies that were Mm -hmm. too serious. It's not so much the case today, but it was then. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I, I really got into the depth of theology and all that. And I never felt like I was an imposter or that I was misleading or lying. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I, I also wasn't a pastor that preached from the top down. I, I spoke on the level with people and was very honest about my own journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't spill all the beans because I was confused myself. So you know, right. I was I was discreet um, and um, fair and gentle. Uh, and then 
when I, I got bored with the Presbyterian church, like literally I just got, I got bored <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I just left the ministry and I ended up being asked to be a pastor of a vineyard church. And mm-hmm. so I took that and we enjoyed that. I felt David, free. Why were you asked to be a pastor in the vineyard church? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I, I kind of made a long story short there. Yeah. <laughs> so when I left the Presbyterian church, Lisa and I literally, uh, I, I woke up one morning and said, you know what? I'm, uh, we're not trapped. I'm free. We can just quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, what? <laughs> no, cause we have three little kids and a house and car payments and you know, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. um, she said, okay. So we literally quit, sold everything we could packed ourselves in a van with our three little kids and drove off into the sunset. And, um, a few months later, we ended up in a town here. Uh, we went and visited a church, which was a vineyard church. We loved it. We stayed. And, uh, and a year later, the pastor asked me if I could take over for him. And I, I did because mm-hmm. he was moving back to the States. And, mm-hmm. um, so that, that's how that happened. And, and while I was there, I felt very free. I could read, explore, research, be honest. It was a great community. Loved it. But then in 2009 and 10, I knew I was, things weren't going to work out for the long haul there. Um, you know, uh, Naked Pastor was getting more and more famous <laughs> or infamous, however you want to put it. <laughs> yeah. And people were hearing about it and uh, the vineyard higher ups were hearing about it and people were starting to complain. And then finally in 2010, I said, you know what? I think it'd be better for this church and for me if I left. So it was an amicable divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's what happened in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 12 years ago. It's hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. I think to me that part of your story is making me think about your personality. Like I'm mm-hmm. just wondering what kind of personality does it take I know that we all are invited to courage mm-hmm. and I believe that the spirit would always draw us to how can you be more authentic? How can you be more true? Mm-hmm. How do you pursue that journey? Like when you shared, like we sold what we had and got in the car, I'm thinking Abram being called to a land. He doesn't know as, <laughs> as the story tells just being like, yeah, I every, but everybody does this. Like everybody does what their dad did. What do you mean? And yeah. this invitation of like, no, you're going to go somewhere else. You're going to, you're going to do something different. You're going to break the cycle. You're, you don't have yeah. to be in this wheel, the ancient wheel of tradition and doing yeah. the same thing. And so I hear that. And in my, my mind, I'm thinking like, I don't know. It's hard to articulate because I'm like, are we all expected to take this kind of leap of faith? Does it take that for everybody to get to this place? And it, it does, and maybe there are smaller leaps of faith that people take, mm-hmm. uh, risk that they can handle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you what happened was I, I was pastoring Presbyterian churches, uh, country churches, for years. And I was asked if I could plant a church, a Presbyterian church in a, in a town that didn't have a Presbyterian church. So I I took the offer. I thought, great, this is my opportunity to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. I can create the perfect church, the kind of church I want. Uh And um, I got there and I started building the church. 
And within two years, I just wanted to die. I hated it. I hated it. Hmm. It, fell in, it, it just fell into this rut. And um, I, all the all the lapsed Presbyterians in the area came out of the woodwork and <laughs> put all this pressure on me to be Orthodox and be you know old fashioned Presbyterian. And mm-hmm. I hated my life. I hated my job. I felt trapped. Mm. Uh, I didn't know what to do because uh, c- I had my wife and three little kids, and like I said, all these responsibilities and car payments, and we were mm-hmm. living in the manse uh, parsonage or whatever you want to call yep. it. Yep. And um, I, I, I went to bed one night just wanting to die. Like I literally felt completely hopeless. But I had mm. a dream that night. Mm. And in that dream, all I heard was the voice, it's time. And I woke up <laughs> laughing, just like that. I was laughing. I woke up laughing. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized I'm not trapped. I'm just afraid of acting free. That's all it was. I was oh, just goodness. I was just afraid of what it would mean if mm-hmm. I acted out my freedom and just left. It would mean finding another job. It would mean figuring out the money, figuring out how to take care of my kids, figuring out where to live. Fig- There's a lot to figure out. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be afraid of, but that's all it was. I woke up and I said, "Lisa, like we're not literally trapped. We're just afraid. We're just scared of, you know, walking away." And so we just, I don't know, it was one of the most exciting times of our life. And and so that was a huge monumental leap. But I felt so free. I felt so happy. I felt excited mm. and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And um, it was that one of the happiest days. And the next year or two, even though it was a struggle, it was one of the most exciting periods of our life. Mm. And um, I did, and you know, I learned a big lesson there. Mm. So that in 2010. When again, I was feeling the bars of the cage closing in around me. Yeah. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let myself feel trapped again. I'm out of here. And I took that same leap of faith. And and it it always happened. I, I don't know why, but when you take that step, the earth rises to meet your feet somehow. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But um, it... It, it worked. I, I, I've come to believe that when we do take steps of faith or whatever you want to call those risks for our own well-being, the well-being of those we love, mm-hmm. good things happen. Oh, David, that moves me. <laughs> when you take this step of faith for your well-being or the well-being of people around you, the people mm-hmm. you love in solidarity mm-hmm. with the people around you, that the earth rises to meet your feet. Mm-hmm. How beautiful! I believe it, yeah. yeah, and I proved it in my own life several times. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, I I have a, a cartoon where there's a guy inside a cage and people are lined up passing him the bars to his cage. <laughs> oh, yeah. It says the bars I uh, the expectations of others were the bars I used for my own cage, and when you realize that um, you're not really trapped. You're just afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changes everything. The bars are gone, and and you're faced with, you know, dealing with your fears. Now these fears can be very real, right? Let's say a woman is feels trapped in a abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. You can be fra- uh, scared for her life, the mm-hmm. the life of her kids, losing her kids. You know, those are all legitimate 
and profound fears. Mm -hmm. But once you realize these are just fears and that you're not really trapped, that you're making a choice to protect yourself, to protect your kids, et cetera, et cetera, then it changes the landscape. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also when we're navigating some of those, what comes up for me is that some Uh of the spaces that have formed us have created expectation ways of back to what you just said, the expectations of others were these bars that I created my own prison with, but it becomes really difficult to see beyond or outside of that. And that is a, that unknown space out here is so much more. It's not, it's, it's almost like, it's not just the fear, but there's a responsibility that I've never been invited to. There's an agency there's an authority over my own life. Like at one right. point it was my parents and then it was who knows school or the sports team or whatever. And then it was my pastor. And then it was, and it's almost like it's always easier to surrender or maybe not always easier, but sometimes it can be much easier to surrender our agency and our responsibility to direct our lives, to follow our heart, what you're talking about, to listen mm-hmm. well to our, to mm-hmm. our own selves mm-hmm. It's easier to, and in my case, I'm like, it's easier for me to be like, what's good for my children? What's Mm -hmm. the best thing for my daughters? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can discern that or smell that easier, taste that easier than I can be like, no, no, no. But what's good for you, Mark? Like what, what is going to be the most healthy and whole thing that you can do? Yeah, it's... (laughs) Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful question. I mean, uh, when I, uh, I'm a couple of things. When I was deciding to leave the ministry in 2010, um, I was looking for support. I was looking around. And one of my friends asked me a very simple question. He said, he asked me, why are you always looking for a father figure? And boom, it hit me. Wow. This was my last step. This was the final step I had to take was stepping out, like you said, in my own agency, my own independence, and not continually looking to somebody with authority over my life to validate me or give me permission. That was a huge step for me. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And um, so that was my final final step in my deconstruction or whatever you want to call it. And Mm -hmm. walking away from the ministry was realizing I don't need anybody's permission. I don't need anybody's validation. I know I'm doing the right thing mm-hmm. uh, for myself, for my family, and for people I'm going to serve in the world. Mm-hmm. And 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 the people I have served and am serving in the world has increased since leaving the church. Yeah. I mean, I was focused on a congregation of a couple hundred people, let's say, but mm-hmm. now, you know, I'm I'm helping people around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's again, the earth rose to meet my feet. Mm. Yeah. In when you say that about looking for a father figure, that that uh strikes a deep chord in me. Mm-hmm. Uh I <laughs> I just had a conversation this week with right. a friend and we were talking about um gender roles and this is a same-sex couple. They've been married for 10 years. 
they have twins and they were talking about, you know, wanting to make sure that they're, you know, that, that they're, they have two different gendered kids and that the one who's not their gender, you know, like how do we create the reality where they feel seen or like that, and all of these expectations, again, back to the expectations that become the bars, right. these expectations that every movie that is not really yeah. carefully, thoughtfully crafted will just kind of like yeah. live into, portray, yeah. and keep like, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. But it was a sense of like, well, who's going to give them permission to be their gender? Yeah. <laughs> and so, but that conversation for me was so deep because I grew up in a family without my father. And it was really important to me. And I remember in the formative years of adolescence, there was a man who stood in and really affirmed me and validated me. And then early on after college, there was a man who affirmed me and validated me. And I felt, I wouldn't, I don't see it as clearly as you say that it was like this last step. But for me, there was a season where I was like looking for a mentor Mm -hmm. and nothing fit. And I just felt that the the spirit, spirit of God in my interpretation was saying like, yeah, you got to figure you out and you have to be the one. And so in, in my mind, I guess I'm putting both of those kind of, well, three, all three of those, the conversation from this week and my story and then your story and this kind of like invitation to yeah. agency and yeah. your own authority. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And another question, too, that I was asked was, well, David, what do you want? And I remember, (laughs) I don't know what I want. I was never taught to know what I want. Yeah. I was always taught to want what the Lord wants, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I I said, well, I I don't know. And he said, well, you've got to figure that out. Like, what do you want? And I knew when I left the ministry in 2010, I had to go to the school of life and figure out what do I want? And, um, that was a huge, huge, uh, growth curve for me because, you know, even asking myself, well, what do I want? Felt sinful, mm-hmm. like really sinful mm-hmm. and greedy mm-hmm. and egocentric and, um, you know, betraying God and, uh, oh, so that, that was another hard one too, but it's all connected. Because, you know, knowing what I wanted is the same as me assuming my own agency. Yeah. Yeah. Beginning to articulate that and form imagination for that. Yeah. I I thought that's the question that you were going to, that you were going to say that your friend asked you first. Uh And you said, my friend said, and I was like, he's going to say, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) But I, what, what I love about that story, what stands out to me is that our, your friend, I don't know, you know. Who knows? It could be Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, it could be, it could be somebody hugely, you know, known or whatever, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it could be, but, and it's like, it's probably someone just grounded and they yeah. propelled you. And these two questions propelled yeah. you to now become a person who is helping people find out what they yeah. want. That's paying attention to the ways that they have been bound to different ideas Yeah, and helping them to remove those expectations, the bars of expectation in their lives 
an encounter yeah. freedom. Well, you know, you look at the characters in the Bible, all the Bible stories, the, the people we call heroes in the Bible, the saints, the forefathers and mothers or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and even modern day books where we, we read biographies or stories about people. Um, every one of them came to a point in their life where they, they said that they had to, they had to walk their own path mm -hmm. and do their mm -hmm. own thing. You know, um, and it takes it takes a great deal of courage to um, yeah, yeah. to to actually do that. And some some start younger than others. You know, I was I was older before I realized. Oh my goodness, you know, I've I've got to I got to figure out what I want and realize I don't need anybody's permission to do it. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal for me. That came later. David, can you share a little bit about <laughs> this one feels like I'm I'm a <laughs> I'm asking an older brother for some advice. And <laughs> it feels I so think interesting. I am older. Come on. <laughs> With the uh I love the confident big smile and the the stroke of the the mature seasoned <laughs> beard. <laughs> yes. Beard. So when you started to ask the question, what do you want? I still feel resistance in myself. In my own home, in my own space, if it's just me, to articulate yeah. what I want. Because a lot of times there are relationships, there are responsibilities yeah. that they're not contradictory, but they just place tension. And so sometimes it's hard for me to even just articulate what do I want? Like, I can't even not just or say it out loud. It's like, I can't envision it because back to what I said before, the vision of my financial responsibility to my family is so big uh, that it blurs my ability to like imagine in, let's say a different direction or, or whatever. Yeah. As you were fighting, you know, that school of life to, to really get to what you want. Mm -hmm. How long was that journey? What were some of the helpful steps? Would you share a little bit about coming into understanding what you really wanted? Well, um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, feeling responsible, uh, which is good. That's a good thing because mm -hmm. you are. You are yeah. responsible for your, your family and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in the same situation like my. My kids were three, uh, six, and eight years old at the time when I the first time I left the ministry. Okay. When I when I had that dream, it's time and like so you know packing, pulling our kids out of school, mm -hmm. and walking away from my job, my pay, our house, um, our everything was probably pretty stupid in the eyes of most people mm -hmm. and probably mm -hmm. including my parents. Yeah. Uh, well, not probably, I know for a fact they thought it was crazy Yeah. and um, they were very concerned for me as I would be for my kids if they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it, the next couple of years were rough, but you know, uh, things, things worked out and it was actually better for my kids and, and us, Lisa and I, same thing in 2010. Now our kids were older. Um, you know, they're on their way out of the home already. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
they're, and, and they were already figuring out their own lives anyway. But, you know, responsibility to my wife and friends and all this kind of thing. And it, it was another huge risk. But that's always the, that's always the thing is, is, is the risk. And mm-hmm. to, to wait for that vision in each of these cases, waiting for the vision, uh, which for me was a confidence that it was all going to work out for the better. Mm-hmm. And, and not knowing the details, but just knowing I must do this and it'll, it's going to work out. It has mm-hmm. to work out. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, and then for me, figuring out what I wanted and all that kind of thing, I literally had to um, train those mm-hmm. muscles because they were completely absent. They were completely, mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. atrophied. Uh, wow. I never used that muscle. What yeah. do I want? And it felt horrible. I felt like, uh, like I'll be honest. Back then, I was like, okay, forgive me, God, but I'm going to be greedy for a, a week or two and see how it works out. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, I felt, I felt terrible. But mm-hmm. it was, it it was because it was totally new to me. And um, you know, I went to workshops. I read books. I went to seminars, I took courses, I hired coaches, mm. I did anything I could to rewire my brain mm-hmm. into a healthier attitude about things like money and business and mm-hmm. selling mm-hmm. and marketing and promoting my art and all these kinds of things, mm-hmm. establishing myself in the world. Uh, it was it was a lot of a lot of work that felt so foreign to me. But now it's becoming more familiar because I've trained that muscle mm. and uh, it's, it's, I'm way more comfortable than I used to be. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm hearing you say you did the work and you did every, every opportunity you could mm-hmm. to gain that clarity. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned like, it's not easy and it's not cheap. And yeah. I think that reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend who talked about forming community is so hard. And when right. you grow up in church spaces where it's almost like the byproduct is community and you're always promised community and it's always supposed to be like, and then when you're, you can no longer be a part of that community for whatever reason. And then you're mm-hmm. just out in the world and it's like, yo, there is no built in community anymore. Like it's all earned. And mm that sense of agency is earned and 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 more importantly that sense of of clarity on what you want cuz yeah. nobody can tell you what you want <laughs> you have no. to dig and you have to be yeah. willing to like you yeah. said that take that risk yeah. and and put in the work and put in the time and put in the money and do whatever is yeah. kind of necessary yep yeah it is yeah and, and that's that you know there you can jump from one a lily pad to another lily pad when you see the other lily pad. But sometimes for me, mm. uh, I had to jump when I couldn't see where I was landing. And yeah. um, that feels very, very scary. But I knew from experience now that when I take a, a risk like that with integrity, not foolish, like, you know, not running away or, or, or knee-jerk reaction or... Uh-huh. You know, um, just reactionary kind of response. Mm, yeah. I don't like. But yeah. like a measured, you know, 
I'm going to get up today and I'm going to take courage and I'm going to take a step in the direction of my, my freedom mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. Uh, that's when things really fall into place, I think. That's incredible. <clears throat> Hey family, I don't know about you or where you are kind of emotionally in life when you're hearing this conversation, but I'm so encouraged by David's posture to be someone who's on the other side of some of the difficult things that some of us face or have faced and to be reminding us that when you take leaps of faith for your health or for integrity, that the universe, that step of faith, that the ground will meet your feet as you take those steps, it's so encouraging. Well, we want to take this time to announce that we are shifting our focus from content to connection. We're working with our team to plan and structure in-person gatherings in Los Angeles. If you want to join us, you want to be a part of that, please go to thekinshipcollective.com and join our newsletter list where we'll start to share more information about that. All right, let's get back to this conversation with David Hayward. David, when when I was reading some of your bio online, you got to this part where you started talking about awakening to seeing. (laughs) It makes me smile and laugh. I can't even get this out because it feels so beautiful and so aligned with some of who we are at the Kinship Collective and what we're trying to be. Mm-hmm. When you talked about, I start to read this, and I start to read that, and from these philosophies and from these theologies, and I woke up one day in this place where love and unity and oneness was the the reality. Yeah. So would you share about coming into this reality of like, oh no, it's all included. Yeah. We're we're all good. Yeah, so in like um I tell people uh, if they know anything about my story, I you know, when before I even went to Bible college, I was deep you know, neck deep in the Bible. I was and I studied the Bible and theology and Greek and Hebrew and all the theologies and all the theologians and all the philosophies and desperately looking for the answer like to mm-hmm. how does this all fit how mm-hmm. how does god just love me because i said i accept you into my heart as my personal lord and savior mm-hmm. you know? uh, and and yet this jewish person or this buddhist person or this muslim or you know whoever who is a better person than i am uh is going to hell and you know, and even then, some people literally believe there's only 144,000, literally, you know, and on yeah, and on. Yeah, like, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how does this all make sense? Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really struggled. I was in theological anguish for so many years. Um, and uh, and then one day, uh, it just opened up. I, I don't know how to describe it. I just like this epiphany moment. I actually, I saw a picture of a, of a waterfall 
And immediately I understood this to mean that everything is one. There's one reality. We're all connected at a deep and fundamental level. Um, there's one reality, but there's everybody has their own interpretation, their own angle, their own their own way of describing it or trying to describe it. Hmm. All the religions are doing the same thing. And, and and for me, it was like I felt this is wild, Mark, but immediately my mind was at peace. It just went whew. all that anguish and struggle and wrestling with theology and trying to figure it out. It just all went away. It was like, boom, gone, completely mm. peaceful. And it stayed. That was in 2009. It, it wasn't a moment. It wasn't a phase. It stayed. And wow. um, so I started operating out of that new reality that we're deeply one and connected, unified at a fundamental level. It's only our thoughts that seem to divide us into tribes, you know, and... Um, and it it was life changing, and and you know I I started talking about it in my blog and and trying to describe what happened and and uh, that's when I really started to get in trouble, and, uh, and and it was a year later I I had to leave the ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm, I I think that that resonates in me. To me, that's what the kinship collective is about. Yeah, we kinship. are. Come on, we are yeah. family. We're all, we're all family and back yeah. to, you know, I don't think I've had that profound epiphany yet, but I, it's almost like I tasted it and I could smell it and <laughs> I'm trying to keep going. You know, I want to keep, I want to taste where, it, where it's actually from. I want to make sure, you know, that we're, we're in that space. So yeah. yeah. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, David, you've shared so much of your story and so much of how scripture has shaped you. I'm so grateful for that, even to this point. Would you share a little bit about how scripture, how do you think of scripture now? What kind of authoritative space, if I even say that, like what kind of yeah. voice or influence do you, does it have in your life? Yeah, so the, the Bible is still important to me, um, uh, but... There are other books that are important to me as well, including the Quran and the Torah and the Bhagavad Gita and other uh, books. Uh -huh. There's all kinds of, like I am pointing back to this experience that I had in 2009. Um, there are all angles. And so for me, the Bible isn't the truth. Even, even some of the greatest theologians, including Karl Barth, say this, that the Bible isn't the truth. It points to the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like John the Baptist's finger pointing to Jesus and saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. It's the same thing. The Bible performs that same function. It's pointing to the truth or attempting to point to the truth. And it's written by a bunch of men uh, in a long time ago in yeah. a faraway place <laughs> and uh, it, attempting to point to the truth. And so for me, the Bible, I don't read the Bible as if I'm reading truth. I'm reading attempts to describe and point to the truth. So it's conveying truth to me. Mm -hmm. And and so that to me is what the, the Bible is about. And I think I appreciate the Bible um, on a more legitimate level, a more, uh, I, I love it for what it is, you know, rather than for what I wish it to be. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was some kind of a magical document that fell out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I rather, I think it was a, a man-made document, a collection of documents pointing to some profound, profound mystery. And um, it's conveying profound truths. And that's how I take it now. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really meaningful. I've heard people say, like, a lot of people think of the, the Bible as the ultimate authority or the ceiling, but it's really become the floor to them, the, maybe the beginning of imagination or the beginning. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say it that way. And I think, for me, when I think of the Kinship Collective and how we have these conversations and how we want to have the conversations, yeah, it is about if these people can write their encounters with God, their perspectives, then we should be able to tell ours. And we hold theirs in, in really high regard because a bunch of men stood around and like put their stamp of approval on it in Nicaea or whatever. And it's like, but your encounters with God, our encounters with God are very meaningful and they can be influential. They can be really helpful. They can be inspiring. They can yeah. guide us towards truth. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's what you're saying is it's, it's rumbling around with me. Yeah. And your journey of, you kept saying that we're not running away from, we're not being reactionary, but there's this integrity you mentioned Mm -hmm. in pursuing your truth. And that brought up for me, it just reminds me of this scripture. (laughs) And it's weird how, how this scripture, I honestly didn't know what scripture to think about for Mm -hmm. us. And I was praying about it, thinking about it. And then the scripture came to my mind and now thinking of your story and the story of scripture and what it means to be a prophet or somebody who's finally come to a space where they can literally look people in the eye and the community has kind of gathered it, but they have said, no, this is, this is, I'm speaking on behalf of God. This is what is the ultimate truth. And I wouldn't say that you're trying to do that. No, no. But I think the, the agency, the agency that it took for a prophet in the Old Testament to do this, mm-hmm. this was part of the spectrum of growth. When we talk about like everything happens the same way and then Abraham slash Abram does something different. There's growth there. We become a people representing a God and there's growth and there's liberation. And then mm-hmm. there's spiritual authority and agency Mm-hmm. where the prophets come in and start speaking on behalf of God or speaking with mm-hmm. this sense of authority like Jesus mm-hmm. was written to have had when he was a kid in Luke mm-hmm. 4, I think. And there's a sense of like that trajectory. So it's interesting hearing your story and then thinking about this story. We're going to talk about Jeremiah who writes mm-hmm. to a people who are in captivity. Mm-hmm. And part of this scripture gets taken out of context and We've heard it a gazillion times and seen it on a bunch of coffee mugs. But we'll, let me read this passage and we'll see what you think about it. What comes to your mind today? Sure. And back to the background. The people of God have been snatched out of their land, the land that was given to them, the promised land. And now they don't quite remember who they are. They know, they know who they are. They're trying to remind themselves of those stories mm-hmm. in the middle of Babylon where... Um, they are, or Assyria, 
I think it's Babylon this time. Yeah. And they're being told these stories about who God is, about what God is like, what, what life is for. And Jeremiah wasn't taken with all those people. So he's writing a letter to the people from outside of the people. And he's inviting them to start fresh, to know that they carry kind of the image of God, that they are with God. And so the beginning talks about, you know, you should invest where you are. Like marry your children to these children around you, which was like a no-no. Right. And invest in the welfare of your city. Plant plants and trees and, and root yourself there. Don't keep wishing for some other place, which is reminds me of a lot of sermons today, maybe. Yeah. Be where you are. And then it gets to this part further on down. It's Jeremiah 29. And he says... <laughs> It's an interesting little section here, but I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Jeremiah says, this is what Yahweh says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Because I know the plans that I have for you, says Yahweh plans for your wholeness and well-being and not for evil to give you a future and hope then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart mm-hmm. I will be found by you declares Yahweh I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says Yahweh, I will bring you back to the place from where I've sent you into exile. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Mm-hmm. David, when you hear that today, what stands out to you? Yeah, well, it was, it's kind of like what you were hitting on there before you, you read that. Um, it, it reminds me of... Um, so many people who experienced uh, imprisonment, literal imprisonment or exile, mm-hmm. uh, such as Israel did there. Um, you know, Nelson Mandela, um, um, who, uh, um, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but I'm just okay. thinking of other people who were, uh, you know, imprisoned and they all, speak about um, being free where you are. Mm, And that doesn't matter where you are, you can be a free person. I read this uh, autobiography of a Chinese woman who was arrested by the communists, the Red Party in in China. And she tells her story and and I've never, I've never, like she's completely free, this woman. But she's Mm. in in solitary confinement but the freedom that she exhibited even the guards and everybody could tell and and um and then you know she was released she only died a few years ago Mm. but uh, he wrote uh alive and dead or alive in shanghai i think it's called something like that okay and um and i when i read that book years ago i thought there's something to that be free where you are um, I mentioned the other day on a, one of my TikTok videos, <laughs> um, 
that uh, when, when a plant's not doing well um, in our house, we don't throw it out. We say, let's change its environment. Let's put mm-hmm. it in a place or let's open up the blinds or let's do something. It's, it's not the plant. It's not right to blame the plant. There's probably its environment. And wow. so it's the same with the passage you're reading. You're free. Either mm-hmm. it, you could be in Babylon or you could be back in, you know, um, Palestine or Israel, wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're free. You're free there to raise your family. You're free there to grow gardens. You're free there to build your homes and free there to enjoy your life. Um, but not to settle. Don't settle. Yeah. Um, uh, you're free, but don't just fall into content, you know, being um, into settling. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't fall into a rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what that passage is about to me is be free where you are. Change your environment if you're not doing well. Somehow figure out a way to change your environment, either the, the environment you're in or actually change, you know, move. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and uh, improve your life. You have permission to improve your life. A lot of people have a hard time hearing that. Yeah. I know a lot of believers have a hard time hearing that. You mm-hmm. are allowed to figure out a way to be happy and to improve your life. Mm-hmm. And not to settle. It can even get better. And, mm. and that's what um, that passage really speaks to me about today. Yeah. What, what stands out to me in this passage today is I think the part about, you know, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Something about that strikes me. It reminds me of when I was talking about like not being able to imagine or articulate what I want with my whole heart. There's some sense of it's not dissonance back to the permission when you're talking about there's a permission, I think, given there, or at least that I'm hearing today around like, it's okay. You to seek God with our whole heart. It doesn't mean we're going to land in the same place. And I think sometimes we want, we want to fit in the box. Sometimes it's like, well, I want to fit in that box over there where my parents are and where things feel pleasant or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I also feel these things in my heart and it feels like if I am true to my whole authentic self and there's integrity within me, mm-hmm. then I may end up in a different place. And sometimes that feels like really challenging. That feels um, not like mutually exclusive, but then it's like, okay, well then we, for me, my tendency sometimes is to suppress my heart then yeah. because I will put these things first yeah. and then suppress that. And, and I think what I'm hearing or feeling in the, in the scripture today is that invitation to no seek with your whole heart. Yeah. And all these things will be here. The family, yeah. children, yeah. all the responsibilities, <laughs> they ain't going nowhere. Yeah. But you can be free to fully articulate, fully explore so there's something about that invitation that feels different because I think sometimes we think searching God with our whole heart means I go into that Christian box or whatever box I came from. And then I just do that thing wholeheartedly. And then I experience or encounter God. And I think what I'm hearing today is like, no, no, no. Wholeheartedly is more about authenticity yeah. and, and genuine integrity and 
trusting that and being fully committed to that authenticity and then encountering maybe the God that isn't in that box, yeah. the God that is above and outside of all the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I, t I talk about that all the time. How can I surrender myself if I don't know myself, if mm -hmm. I don't know who I'm surrendering, how can mm -hmm. I uh, give, you know, surrender all my desires or let known all my desires if I don't know what my desires are? Mm -hmm. How can I, with my whole heart, if I don't know my own heart? Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, that, that's why I'm saying you have permission to know yourself, to appreciate yourself and embrace yourself and love yourself. And, um, you know, uh, that I think that's one of the key things that's missing in many of our um, spiritual journeys is just to really love ourselves. Uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've done many cartoons about this and they always cause a lot of stir online where you, love starts right here. Mm. I, I can't love you fully unless I love myself fully. Yeah. And, and um, so you, you need to know how to love yourself fully. You can't, you can't fully love someone if you hate yourself. You can't even love someone if you hate yourself. You you have to love yourself. That's and because love comes from love, and um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big advocate of uh, knowing who you are, loving that, and knowing what you want. Yep, hundred percent. That's really good. I think what's interesting to me when you say that is also about the journey and it's almost like a lot of us, you commit to a way of being, you commit to a pathway and you just, you keep down that path. Mm -hmm. And I think one of those pathways I think is, I'm thinking of marriage and partnership and I'm thinking of the ways that sometimes we get into a partnership and we don't quite yet know how to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there's tendencies about trying to love someone else and all, all the kind of unhealth maybe wrapped in that. But I think what I'm hearing, something in what you're saying is like, we don't always get the opportunity to do all that stuff first. So sometimes yeah. you're, and this goes back to what you said about flourishing where you are, be free yeah. right where you are. And yeah. that invitation to, yeah, look around you. Look at where you are right now. Take an inventory of all of the ways that you are where you are. Whatever that means, you're male, female, non-binary, or whatever you are. All you, you take an inventory of where you are mm -hmm. and you think about the invitation to love and loving self and you start exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. How do I know myself better? How can I get more in tune with who I am? What steps can I take? What, how many times can I go to a therapist in one week? How many therapist visits can my budget support? Yeah. Uh, just, but yeah. doing that work to know yourself, to begin to love yourself right where you are. And then I think about what else you said, which is sometimes there will be, you need to make adjustments to the environment if you're not flourishing. And yeah. you, you feel like you can't love yourself in this space. Okay, well, how do you adjust the space? Or how do you adjust the time you spend in the space? Or, yeah. So it's to me, it's speaking against complacency. It it means doing the work, like do do the work of improving your life, improving the lives of those around you. Like 
the scriptures were basically there and Jeremiah was saying, yeah, Babylon, it kind of sucks, but make it a better place and try to enjoy your life to the full where you are. Um, and eventually, hopefully, you'll be able to come back home. But like un until then, make the most out of what you've got. Somehow figure that. And, and that's what I did. In fact, that's kind of my story with the church. Like I, I stayed as long as I could to improve yes. my experience yep. with the church and improve other people's experiences with the church and yes. hopefully bring a little bit of reform to the church. But it came to the point where I got to come home and home was me. Mm. And, um, and uh, so that was my deliverance. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's really good. I think, again, so much of what you said is so helpful and so meaningful. And I think as you come home to yourself and you become aware and you begin to love yourself. I, I'm thinking of what you said about the ground meeting your feet and just trust that as you take those steps to know yourself and to love yourself, that the mm -hmm. ground will meet your feet as you do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trust that. Yep. <laughs> David, I'm so, so grateful for your time for this conversation. You're yeah, it'd be cool to be able to meet all your uh, friends in kinship. But uh, yes. yeah, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. David, how can we, I know you have a book coming out, which I can't yeah. wait. Would you share yeah. a little bit about that and how people can uh, get connected yeah. to you and follow up with you? Yeah, if, um, my new book's coming out. I've already got nine books on Amazon, but um, this 10th one is published by Broadleaf Books. And it's called Flip It Like This. And uh, it's a collection of 125 of my most loved cartoons. And there's 12 never before seen cartoons in there. Okay. And uh, it's coming out in July, but you can pre-order now. I'd love it if you went and pre-ordered the book. And um, it's, you know, it's under 20 bucks. It's going to be a great, I'm telling people, this is going to be a great gift for people. Yeah. Like to accidentally leave it at your parents' house or, uh, you know, yeah. leave it in the bathroom. <laughs> for people uh -huh. to look at or, you know, it's, it's going to be great. So I'm really excited about it. it, it that, there's not even just the introduction, short introduction is, is words and the rest is just pictures. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That is so good. Yeah. So go to nakedpastor.com and uh, it's right there on the front. I was just going to say that and you can search naked pastor on any kind of social space. Yeah. And I love I love seeing you at home or in the car and these beautiful <laughs> thoughts shared with the world. Oh, yeah. David, thank you for sharing your beautiful thoughts with us, your presence. So, much, so appreciate it, man. We're so grateful. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you today. Absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, just remember, I think some of that where we land is you are someone to be loved, that you bear the image of God, no matter what wounds you've uh, endured, no matter what wounds mm -hmm. you've inflicted on others. You have an invitation today to be, become more aware of who you are, to love yourself, to walk in that love, to change your environment. And I think some of what undergirds all of that is a trust that as you make steps to become whole and healthy, that the ground will meet your feet as you take those steps. You are so loved and we're family and that's just the way it is. We can't wait to talk to you next time. Peace, y'all.